the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Last Wednesday at our Ash Wednesday worship service, we were with Jesus and his disciples in northern Israel at a place called Caesarea Philippi. In that place, Peter said to Jesus, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Matthew 16, 16. Earlier in today's worship, Greg Peel read for us that six days later, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to the top of a mountain and reveals his majesty in what is called the Transfiguration. To begin the sermon for today, I invite you to travel with me in time more than three decades following the Transfiguration and listen to what Peter writes in his second letter. We were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were motivated by the Holy Spirit and moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God, 2 Peter 1, 16 through 20. It's been 35 years since the Transfiguration, and Peter writes, We saw his majestic splendor. Two distinct points can be made of this phrase. First, the term we saw is in contrast with the earlier phrase, making up clever stories. Stories are wonderful, often enchanting and encouraging. They can grab our hearts, but when it comes to truth, that requires reality that was seen or heard and can be verified. Peter's point is well taken. No matter how exciting, exhilarating, uplifting, or powerful people's stories might be about Jesus and the majesty of his coming, it is being an eyewitness to his majesty that is preferred. And the phrase, his majesty, how many thoughts must have been running through Peter's mind. There were so many examples of the majesty of Jesus. There was the day Jesus was teaching and more than 5,000 people were gathered on a hillside on the north shore of Galilee to listen. It was time to eat. And Andrew found a young boy with a small bag lunch. And with that, Jesus fed everyone. And there were 12 baskets left over. That was majesty. Peter had seen that, but that's not what he used as an example. And there was the time when Jesus was walking on the water. In fact, Peter started walking on the water toward Jesus. Now that was majesty, but Peter did not use this as the example either. Well, there was the day when Jesus came to Bethany just outside Jerusalem, only to discover that one of his closest friends, Lazarus, had died. 
The disciples and many others saw the stone rolled away and Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Certainly that was majesty. Peter had seen that. But once again, this was not the example he chose. And one would think that Jesus' own resurrection would be considered the majestic event. It's true, though Peter had not actually seen the resurrection. He saw Jesus crucified. He saw him dead. He saw the empty tomb. And he saw the resurrected Jesus. But what Peter chose as the event of majesty was the transfiguration. Remember, this letter was written some 35 years later after much reflection. The event of majesty, the one used to describe the power and the might of Jesus, was the transfiguration, and it is an event we know so little about. From the gospel accounts of the transfiguration, we know three things. Jesus' face shone like the sun and clothes became white. Peter, James, and John were dazzled by the radiance. And then there were the significant visitors, Moses and Elijah. Moses, the lawgiver, the one who sets the boundaries for their life together with God and one another. And Elijah, the prophet who had a profound passion for God and his ways. The prophet who was taken directly into heaven. And there was a voice, a voice from the cloud which was understood to be the voice of God. But it was neither the dazzling radiance nor the presence of Moses and Elijah that Peter mentioned in his letter. Instead, it was the voice, God's voice. In Matthew 17, 5, Peter is speaking with Jesus about making shelters, actually altars, three of them, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He barely finishes his sentence and is interrupted by a voice from the bright cloud. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. You know, this voice had been heard before. In Matthew three seventeen, Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And as he comes out of the water, a voice from heaven says, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Do you hear? God speaks. This is my son. God speaks. Whom I love. God speaks. With him, I am well pleased. But also, do you hear a difference between the voice at baptism and the voice at transfiguration? God adds three more words to the transfiguration. God speaks. Listen to him. Peter is clear in his letter that the transfiguration is the event of majesty, and within this transfiguration, it is the voice that came from heaven which is most majestic. And in verse 19, Peter writes that because Jesus is declared by the voice to be God's Son, we have the word of the prophets made more certain. The prophets who predicted the Messiah are correct. He has come, and Jesus is the one. And these prophets have also predicted that he is coming again. And that is a major point in this second letter of Peter. And then Peter goes on to write, You will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, 
We are to pay attention to Jesus. We are to listen to him. Do I listen to Jesus? Do I know what Jesus said and did? Do I want to know more? Do I believe everything Jesus said and did? Peter, James, and John were told to listen to him. And I believe that the message to listen was for all the followers of Jesus, myself included, and you too. So, are we listening to what Jesus says about who we are? He says that we are the object of God's love. That the reason he sent his son Jesus was to show that he loves all people. All people. Through the Holy Spirit and the other writings of the New Testament, God declares for Christians that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, that we are not our own, that we are bought with a price, that we are adopted or chosen by him. 1 Corinthians 6 and many other places. Are we listening to what Jesus says about who we are? Are we listening to what Jesus says about forgiveness? He says that I am forgiven, completely forgiven. He says that about you as well. He says that I am to forgive and you are to forgive as a response to the forgiveness that we have received. He gives the example of the woman caught in the act of adultery. He gives the example from the cross when he says, looking out upon the crowd, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Are we listening to what Jesus says about forgiveness? Are we listening to what Jesus says about people who are our enemies? He says that I am to pray for my enemies. What does he say I am to pray for? Their demise? Their defeat? For them to have pain and suffering? I think not. Are we listening to what Jesus says about forgiveness? Are we listening to Jesus? My wife, Carolyn, has been effectively and profoundly helpful to me on this subject of listening. When she has something important to speak with me about, she will most often begin with a conversation of two words. Craig, listen. She wants my attention. Whether I'm reading a book or watching a sporting event on TV, she knows that I won't hear her, let alone listen to her, if she doesn't first get my attention. And she knows she has my attention when I stop what I'm doing and look at her. It's in that moment that I have the best opportunity to become a listener, actively engaged in what she has to say to me. And God seeks to do that same thing with each of us. Whether God is speaking by the Scripture or the Holy Spirit or the conversation with a wise and godly person, God is seeking to get our attention. That is the beginning point of being an active listener, engaged and attentive to what he wants to say to us. God is regularly seeking to get our attention, to engage us in life, living life by the passions and standards of his kingdom life. Does God have our attention, yours and mine? Are we listening to God? To conclude this sermon, I raise three final thoughts. Who or what am I, are you, listening to? In other words, what is informing my life? What is informing your life? And what is forming my life? What is forming your life? 
These are profound questions for reflection, and they are revealed by the things that I say and do in response or reaction to life all around me. You know, active listening is a technical phrase that clarifies what someone has said. For the Christian, the technical phrase active listening has primarily to do with the study of Scripture, listening to what God has said all along. While studying the Scripture on one's own has value, value is enhanced in a small group because we learn how the Holy Spirit has applied the Scripture in the life experiences of others. It is in Scripture that the Christian is informed with the words and actions of Jesus Christ, our Savior and godly mentor. It is in Scripture that the leading of the Holy Spirit can be verified, for the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own, but will only apply what Jesus has already declared to us in the Scripture. To be an active listener to Jesus Christ is to be an active participant in the study of Scripture. But active listening is also making active in my life what I've heard from Jesus and the Scripture. Active listening is putting into action the words, the teachings of Jesus. In his fullness, active listening is becoming like Jesus in how we think, in what we do, and in what we say. So the question to ask as we begin our Lenten journey together is this. Am I listening to Jesus? And the second question does it show? You know, our planting project given on Ash Wednesday illustrates this well. I hope you've been able to get some seeds, some potting soil, and a small pot like this. That's what is needed to grow a plant. And I hope you've read the directions on the seed packet and done what it says. That's like the scriptures where we read and do what it says. And I trust that you tend your plant with water and a warm and sunny indoor location because if we do these things with the plant and our own lives, there will be growth. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you gave to Peter, James, and John a taste of the majesty of your son Jesus on that mountain. It got their attention. When Jesus returns, all mankind will see that majesty. He will get everyone's attention. But we don't need to wait for that day for Jesus to be seen. He longs to be seen in us, in our words, in our attitudes, in our behaviors. Help me and these my friends to listen to him and to become more like him. In this season of Lent, may we give ourselves to be all in with Jesus. May we give him our full attention and a listening ear. And may a taste of his majesty be revealed in both me and my friends. May we become a people who are inspiring others for Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.